Welcome to Booked, where two guys tell you about the books they're reading. I'm Livia Snedden. And I'm Rob Olson. The book we're going to be reviewing tonight is Bathing the Lion by Jonathan Carroll. Here is his bio that we pulled from the interwebs. Jonathan Carroll is the author of 18 novels, including The Land of Love, Wooden Sea, White Apples, and The Ghost in Love, among others. He graduated cum laude from Rutgers University and studied for his master's degree at the University of Virginia while working as an English teacher. His love of teaching took him to the American International School in Vienna, Austria. Carol currently writes and lives in Vienna. Um, hey, that graduated thing, what the hell does that actually mean? Not uh, the graduated part, I get what that is, the cum laude part. Let's see. You mean you didn't? <laughs> That's like the, the, the test. Like if you have to ask, it means you don't you didn't. I gotcha. Uh, yeah. No, I didn't graduate from any kind of college. Graduating with honor. Oh. I think. <laughs> As opposed to with, with great Okay, shame. with like <laughs> um <laughs> like adulation, L A L A U D, you know, like I like I'm thinking. Mm-hmm. Uh, with, as with praise. Like I said, as, as opposed to with great shame. With shame, yeah. He was not... They weren't like, I guess we have to give you this <laughs> this diploma. Well, technically speaking, Degree. you fulfilled all the requirements, but... We can't not give this to you. That's the other way to get graduated. So I've been reading Jonathan Carroll for probably 23 years, 24 years or so, and... Um, Stumbled across a book in the public library of all places back in my uh, late teens, early 20s. And I actually remember because I grew up in Chicago and I used to go to the library. And libraries in Chicago, and maybe this is just my perception because I was a kid, like I always felt like they were doing me a favor. when, And I know they're giving me free books, but I always felt like the people personally working there were doing me a favor just by being there to like check out my book or like answer what aisle something might be down. When I moved out to the Burbs... I, uh, first of all, I was rather lonely because I knew nobody out here. So my closest friends were all like an hour away. I went to the library and they like just got books for you. Like they didn't have it. They just got it from another library for you, which was so cool. And I remember, um, feeling a little guilty because after I read the first Jonathan Carroll book, uh, that I read, I, I made them get me every single book, <laughs> which at the time was probably like eight or 10. That he had all from other libraries because they only had the one, and I thought it was like the coolest thing ever. Like they'll just make this shit happen. That's not bad, dude. But underscoring your love of of what you read, mm-hmm. I'm guessing there's a lot. There's a lot on that list. There, there is, and I got to tell you, in, in the Teeth of Angels, and it was the first one that I read from him, and uh, he's always kind of done. You know, he threw around the term magical realism, and uh, Carol's books. I think were the first real kind of magical realism I read in an adult book. And the thing yeah. I liked about him, which is not necessarily the case in this book, but it's always like really normal people. And then there would be like one little supernatural twist that kind of sent everything, you know, mm-hmm. bonkers. So I don't know. I've just been a big fan of his for years, really excited to read something for the the podcast from him. And uh, yeah, I'm, I'm hoping that, that, that you'll love Jonathan Carroll. Like I love Jonathan Carroll. We're definitely going to see how that uh, that pans out, but um, let's start with the synopsis for Bathing the Lion. In Jonathan Carroll's surreal masterpiece, Bathing the Lion, five people who live in the same New England town go to sleep one night and all share the same hyper-realistic dream. Some of these people know each other, some don't. 
When they wake the next day, all of them know what has happened. All five were at one time, quotation marks, mechanics. A kind of cosmic repairman whose job it is to keep order in the universe and clean up the messes made both by sentient beings and the utterly fearsome yet inevitable chaos that periodically rolls through, wreaking mayhem wherever it touches down. A kind of infinitely powerful, merciless tornado. Because the job of a mechanic is grueling and exhausting, after a certain period, all of them are retired and sent to different parts of the cosmos to live out their days as, quotation marks, civilians. Their memories are wiped clean and new identities are created for them that fit the places they go to live out their natural lives to the end. For the first time, all retired mechanics are being brought back to duty. Chaos has a new plan, and it's not looking good for mankind. I just realized I didn't even read the synopsis before we read the book. <laughs> Yeah, I think Carol had something out a couple months ago. Yeah, I, I didn't read the synopsis either. Probably a little important to to have a, a, a framework or a structure going in. I'm guessing so. Maybe we should have. Yeah, and I know we don't a lot of the time, dependent on who it is. But I guess some of that might might play a more important part. Like maybe with a crime book, like you don't really need the synopsis. Right. But when you're dealing with something, you know, surreal or you know alien mechanic magic people like it would help to have some of this hey where did it take place it took place in maine vermont buddy vermont oh vermont yes yeah you know what it did did you recognize a lot of the scenery and stuff i just imagined the town that i lived in when i was in vermont when the podcast began very nice um was there any uh talking uh, desk chairs there was not that I'm aware of. Not that I ever spoke to. <laughs> not that I ever spoke back. Yeah. <laughs> Fucking was, chair. Yeah. Chair never said anything. Not a lot of magic happening in that town, I will say. Not not much magic. Maybe you're a retired mechanic and there was magic. You just didn't see it. That could be the case. So uh, this book starts out um, and having not... <laughs> So you just heard us talk, read the synopsis, but like this is the way the book starts out. It starts out with a married couple, Dean and Vanessa, um, essentially one morning spontaneously having a conversation about how they're not in love anymore and how they're going to split up. And at one point when they're actually parting ways because they're going to you know go away for a while and come back and talk about it later... Essentially, what's going to happen is the husband's going to go sledding, which in Vermont, I mean, I'm sure there's a lot of, you know, hills and places to sled. And then the wife uh, wasn't really kind of clear on what she was going to do, but then she goes driving off. So it's like the most mundane, boring, possible um, domestic beginning to a book that, you know, I've I've read quite in quite a while, probably since... um, jk rowling's <laughs> yeah that's like the uh, casual vacancy possibly yeah. <laughs> um and then from there we are introduced to other characters also in a very domestic setting where um dean's business partner is introduced and and in the capacity of being the the man on the side or as i was told once uh at the place that livius and i both worked the other guy is called sancho Right? Have you ever heard that term? <laughs> yes, I have actually. So, Dean's business partner, Caspar. Caspar. I think Casper. Casper. 
is the Sancho of the situation. He's sleeping with Vanessa, but he's business partners with Dean. Um, and it's just this kind of like, it starts out very domestic and very everyday life. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, introducing us to these characters like uh, Dean and Vanessa in the beginning, bringing in Casper and then talking about uh, Jane, who is a, like a bar owner where Vanessa sings. So like we, we introduced ourselves to all these characters in the most mundane way possible. And that's a good, I want to say like the first third of the book, right? Um, yeah, probably yeah, quarter or so. Yeah. And that's one of the things that's a staple in, in Carol's um, writing is again, as I mentioned before, one of the things I kind of loved about it was he'd take these really normal everyday and, and often boring people and kind of turn their lives on their ears by, you know, some supernatural twist. So supernatural twist here is um, at some point they, everybody realizes that this first 20% of the book or quarter of the book or whatever um, has been a dream. They all come together and they start to witness really weird things. So for example, um, Dean and Vanessa are, uh, they go to Dean's shop to, to see Casper and, uh, they they both I guess are both are going there and run into each other and when they get there it's not the shop the clothing store they own anymore it's the like newspaper candy shop from like thirty years ago that they bought and it's thirty years ago you know and yep. they, they kind of meet up with some other characters William Edmonds who uh, who lost his wife um, recently um, and uh, I think there's uh, there's one more who's the other person they meet with. Um, Jane, right? Oh, no. And Jane. Yeah, I'm sorry. And Jane, who he mentioned or who Rob mentioned already. So they find out they're all sharing the same dream. Uh, <laughs> and just weird shit happens. Like, I don't even know how to talk about this book, to be really honest. There's so, a talking chair. Mm-hmm. And an elephant. There's a red elephant with a map on its side. Yeah, there's that. Um, we're introduced to some other people. So, oh, a key person. Now, here's when it started off. I got to say that I was kind of sucked in by Josephine. So Josephine is introduced as um, Jane, who goes out jogging at night, frequently has seen this girl kind of like running across the rooftops in this small town. And she's a young girl and she's out at night and perfect you know, way to draw me in at least into like, well, what's going on with this person? Obviously, they have a, a more important role than they do. And, you know, Josephine then at one point we see her with William, uh, William Edmonds, whose wife had died. And, you know, so you get the feeling that she's more more of a key player than quite honestly, than she winds up being. Yeah. And like Livia said, she's essentially, uh, this kind of quizzical, we don't know what's going on with her, but she's definitely not the innocent little girl. You would think she was from her description and, um, in her interactions with the different characters, uh, it comes to, to light really quickly that she knows some shit and, um, probably she's going to be one of the, the, the driving forces in getting these people, uh, to do or getting done to these people, whatever is, is kind of the, the major goal. And, um, she does it in a very straightforward manner. Um, where she just, it's just like, kind of like if someone knows a lot and they're waiting for someone who, who doesn't know stuff to kind of catch up to catch up. Yep. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, but you know, uh, yeah, kind of a weird, you want to know more about it type of character. Um, yeah. It, so there's a, there's a part. So 
it's kind of jumps around a little bit, I guess. William, um, and, and I'm not really clear on how much of this was dream or not. So there's, so she kind of shows up at William's house and and or runs into William at the, at the restaurant he's eating at and goes back to his house with him and. You know, she kind of knows all these things she couldn't possibly know. And William kind of accepts this. And then the next scene, they're eating uh, breakfast. And it's Josephine and William and a large sumo wrestler <laughs> who William knows grew from a two-inch statue, that little knickknack that his wife had. And and the thing I it was probably my favorite part of the book is what I liked is William's like kind of doing his thing and Josephine's there and the sumo wrestler's there and that kind of realization when she's like, why aren't you even asking about the sumo wrestler? And like, he <laughs> starts to realize that there's something really weird going on because he's accepted a, a little mini statue. That's become a full size sumo wrestler. That's eating breakfast at his table as normal. Mm-hmm. And that's really where the, the twist in his life happens is that he, he at that point. So I don't think that was dream though. Right. Does that? Well, the thing is, I'm not sure about that because Later on, it's almost as if the sumo thing were introduced again in a way that he didn't know about it. Or, like, it wasn't... Oh, that's a good point. And that's why I'm not 100% sure about it. Uh, it could be that way, and they are just forgetful, or um, because of the flip. There's another thing. Um, there's a couple more, like, mechanics of time and space that are involved that we'll probably talk about in a little bit. But there was something called a flip that could have caused the memories to be different. Um, so he might not have remembered it. Um, but I think that it was part of the dream. That's my, that was my, my impression. So all this mundane stuff kind of becomes weird, uh, starting with this, this mutual dream. And as the weirdness begins, it's revealed that some of these people that are in this town and primarily the people that we are seeing are what are called, uh, they're retired versions of what are called mechanics and mechanics are, um, essentially, beings not human necessarily but beings that um exist to make sure that things in the universe work the way that they're supposed to so they kind of keep things going according to plan more or less right yep absolutely so um initially i guess it doesn't it's not real specific that they're not earthlings so much as that kind of becomes unraveled, you know, and, and told to you in such a way that they start to refer to things on other planets and about other types of sentient beings that they're involved with. But yeah, they kind of, they're kind of like, uh, what was that fucking terrible TV show with the guy that could time travel back all the way back to the sixties with Scott Bakula and quantum leap. Yeah. They're like, quantum terrible? Leapers. yeah, I, I, I never liked that show. But that was terrible. <sighs> oh boy. But I like Scott Bakula a lot. Who doesn't, man? Did you ever see Necessary Roughness? It was a football movie. It was like a washed up like uh, pro football player, and he ends up, I don't know, on like a not a college, but like a I don't know. Anyway, good stuff. There's a female kicker. (laughs) I like him from uh, uh, Lord of Illusions. I don't even know what that is. Oh, he plays Harry Damore. It's uh, based on a Clive Barker short story. Oh. That's that character like Scott Bakula plays will be in the new Clive Barker book that we're going to review here on this podcast. Nice. All right. Um, anyway, so, uh, <laughs> yeah, kind of like that. They go around and they fix things, mostly by influencing people, it seems. Like, that's really their thing. They they talk a lot about 
interacting with other beings. Yeah, manipulating, I guess, is one way to say it. Influencing is how I say it, so people don't call me a manipulative bastard. I'm an influential bastard. It's a different different kind of thing. Did you have your fingers at quotes when you said influential? Yes, of course I did. <laughs> I, I only talk like that. Everything I do has quotes around it. Um, so, yeah, so we find out. And there are some other ones that are introduced. Most, uh, The most key one, I believe, is uh, Kreebold. Right? Krebold? Krebold? I, I, in my mind, it was Kreebold, yeah. Yeah. Who was, uh, uh, when uh, Casper, who was a mechanic, Kreebold was kind of his his nemesis, I guess. He's the kind of guy who was a little jealous of Casper's ability to very easily do his job, or while Kreebold struggled and took lots of shortcuts, and everything came very natural to Casper, who throughout the course of the story, like, women love him, and he's, like, really suave and dashing, <laughs> and things just come real easy for him. Kreebold is kind of the opposite. And he was the player hater. Yes. Yes, he was the player hater. Very good. That's <laughs> <it's, laughs> perfect, yeah. So, um, you know, between him and Josephine, um, we we see it through the eyes of these former mechanics as they start to learn what they were and what's going on. But some of the, the conduit for that is Kreebold and, and Josephine. Josephine just kind of dropped out at one point. Like, what happened? How did she not get some kind of resolution? Like, Kreebold's story kind of got resolved. <laughs> but, like, she just disappeared, right? Like, there was no good reason. Like, she was there one day and then, like, gone. Um, I will agree. <laughs> I, I I didn't know if we're getting to our lodging complaints against the book part yet. <laughs> yeah, I'm lodging some complaints. She, well, I mean, it was obvious that she was um, necessary to nudge these retired mechanics in the right direction so they could do what was expected of them. Um, and that was like really the the beginning and end of her utility in the in the mm -hmm. in the grand scheme of things and obviously in the book as well because that's really all that happened with her was she showed up in the beginning and told everybody they were stupid and kind of nudged them in the right direction and then that was it she kind of like didn't show up anymore so i think i could sum up the the, the rest of this book in a couple short sentences um, we find out that they're all being brought back because chaos is making a somersault and they <laughs> are all being brought back to kind of stop it to fight chaos. Yeah. To fight chaos. There you go. Um, I don't know. My main complaint about this book almost might spoil stuff. Let, so let's, let's hear it anyway. <laughs> <laughs> So the whole premise, all right, so the whole, all right, so the structure of the book, the conflict, the thing that we are here to, like, see play out, and it's mentioned in the synopsis is that chaos is going to fuck shit up, right? Yes. And now the, the world of the mechanics who keeps order, who keep order... Um, is basically shitting their pants and they're like, we got to get these other mechanics to help stop chaos, right? Mm -hmm. If you read the entire book and you find out what happened in the past with the mechanics and why they were put the way they, the way they're put where they are and why they were put there, it really calls into the question whether chaos has anything to do with anything at all. Am I right? 
Yes. Yes. Did yeah. you get? Did you pick up on that as well? No, no, I did. I don't know that that's exactly how I saw it, but you're right. I, I see what you're saying. That the whole premise of the book isn't the premise of the book, really, because that's uh, well. Yeah, I'll just I'll put it bluntly. Chaos okay. never has any part in this book at all, except for to be referred to by mechanics. Yeah, that's yeah. Okay, yes, that's yeah. Yep. And the revelations that happen, the information that is revealed about why specifically the human, the ones that come to earth, but I'm guessing every, every mechanic that got retired, why they're, why they're handled in the way they are all basically said that we are like, we're like one big universe wide sleeper cell. Right. Yeah, I mean, I think their mechanics were retired other places, so I think we were just seeing the ones on Earth. We're just right. We're seeing the ones yeah. on Earth, but like, essentially, every, they get retired everywhere. But the idea was like, like I said, sleeper cell, right? Yeah, yeah. So that when something bad happens, they could all be brought back. But and and then great if this. I was thinking about this. I was thinking if this is the first book in a series, maybe. <laughs> But the idea, I mean, I guess my problem is chaos never did anything, never had any effect on anything, except they did say that the somersault was starting, right? Mm -hmm. And the somersault was happening because that's why they were flipping. Oh, did we explain flipping? Oh, we didn't get into the flipping, but let me just finish my little rant. So maybe the somersault started, but there was a lot of misinformation and things being confused. So I'm not even 100% sold on the somersault starting, which the somersault is basically like chaos taking everything and throwing it into disorder. But we find out basically, hey, all these mechanics are basically, you know, strategically retired so that, you know, so that we can build an army of of mechanics to fight chaos. I yes, yes, that was that was the gist of the whole thing. With a lot yeah. of talk about food relationships. Yeah, I I mean here here's the reason the flip came to mind and this is <laughs> you know you had said that the whole premise of the book is kind of you know whatever. So the somersault starts and one of the things that happens during the somersault is a mechanics disappear and B there's a lot of flipping. So flipping is kind of this weird flipping takes a mechanic a person, I guess a human, right. Mm -hmm. And puts them back into a previous time in their lives. Now that can be whenever it can be when you were 10 or it could be three weeks ago. Now, anybody the mechanic comes into contact with during that flip. So, okay, so Rob and I are are, are retired mechanics who are now aware that we are mechanics, okay? If I flip back into Rob's life three years ago, we talk about this podcast, right? And I go, Rob, Rob, in three (laughs) years, we're going to win an award, and we're going to do this, and we're going to do that, right? But when I leave, Rob doesn't remember any of that, so it makes the flip kind of absolutely pointless, the flips start right after it's the day after the joint dream. Yeah. Which is a dream. <laughs> and then everybody is flipping back in time. So in theory, this 300 plus page book took place all in one day. Cause we only see one day past the dream 
the stuff we see before the dream didn't happen because it's a dream and everything else we see <laughs> is previous to the dream. Am I doing this right? I mean, this is. Yeah. <laughs> am I hitting the time frames right? <laughs> yep. So everything we're seeing happened in the past, sort of. But I, I don't I, I'm not really sure what happened in this book. And I think that's kind of one of the other points that I think I have a problem with is chaos disrupts things and, and throws things into disorder. The mechanics are basically the opposing force, which tries to keep things in order, tries to keep, you know, uh, everything the way it's supposed to be. Um, they work outside the boundaries of what typically would be the laws of physics and time and everything like that, obviously, which is fine. But they still have a set of rules, like the things that, that can and cannot be done, right? Oh, yeah, yes. Except for when people just do them. Because, <laughs> like, there's, there was multiple times in the book where, like, uh, someone's like, oh, that can't happen. This can't happen because of blah, blah, blah. Oh, well, actually, you know, it was like those types of things. And I'm like, so even the people who are supposed to keep law and order are breaking laws. There was this really bad hoodwink. You know what I'm talking about? No, actually, I don't. The hoodwink was... Uh, Kreebold got hoodwinked. Oh, yeah, yeah, yes, yes. Sorry, I gotcha. And it's not clear in my mind, but basically all these people who didn't know shit suddenly knew enough to outsmart the guy that knew everything and had kind of like the competitive edge because he was still an active mechanic and not, you know, a retired one. Um, But... They 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 got the better the the upper hand on I, I don't even know but <laughs> it's fucking confusing and everything that had the potential to be really cool got just kind of like puffed away in some weird logic it was it was confusing yeah I'm not going to disagree with you it was confusing and I don't know it was chaos <gasps> there you go uh, it was all chaos. There it is. So maybe, maybe we still didn't get it. Maybe now we're finally seeing that this book was goddamn brilliant because it was all chaos and nobody knew what was going on, including the guy who wrote it. <laughs> the guy that, yeah. And I, what's the book that, that did this recently that pissed me off? Oh, Anne Rice. Remember that book that we that we read? <laughs> yes, I remember. And she basically took all of her vampire shit and made it into like preachy bullshit Christian mm-hmm. um, allegory. Yeah. Which I can't believe we didn't say the word allegory on that review one time. Yeah. Um, well, maybe the next Dan Rice book we read. What? <laughs> <That's> <laughs> this is stop round this tracks. Hit the brakes. <laughs> uh, in this book, the thing that I think bothered me with the way that things wrapped up in the end was that it was like, um, like imagine being confused for 240 pages and then having some smug person explain how all along it was a it was like we had a plan for this so this is why everything makes sense and the good guys win and then like the door like you could actually when i fucking finish this book i could actually see like some like the book clo- like closing like uh, you know what i'm saying like in a very mm-hmm. the end kind of way um, but that pissed me off because it was like basically 
240 pages of like, okay, I think I get this. I think I understand this. I see how these work together. Okay, we're building towards something. And okay, this all makes sense. And okay, I see chaos. And oh, this is, you know, this is concerning me. And oh, and this guy, he knows about this. And it all builds towards something. And then the end of the book is basically like, well, actually, 20 pages of exposition, happy ending, good night. Yeah, I I agree with you. I think that... um... I mean, there are some things to like. I mean, we sound like we hated this book. And, and when I say we, I, there are some things I like. I don't necessarily know that you like them. But um, for example, you know, you've got five retired mechanics, right? And they're all learning at different speeds, like kind of getting their mechanic powers back and what's going on. So I thought that was great. Like here you take five people. Instead of waking them all up at once, you can kind of tell the story through we're each kind of learning at a different pace. So one person knows some stuff and you're kind of intrigued because you're like, this guy knows some stuff. But then you get to learn it as someone else does. as like these realizations less than, uh, you know, just being told or everybody kind of waking up at once. And like you said, just exposition on this is what mechanics do and this is how it works. You get to kind of live it through the eyes of five people that are reawakened, so to speak. So I thought that was done well. And like you said, I'm kind of bought in like, all right, cool. They're all waking up and something's going to happen. And then you get that frightening realization when you're looking and you're like, there's like 20% of this book left and there hasn't been any real movement in, in, <laughs> in action. Everybody's still learning things. Right. But that's, yeah. that's kind of what you're talking about. Right. Like there's no, there, there's no um, climax to this book. There's zero climax to the book. The climax is like some people sitting on a porch talking. Yeah. Versus some kind of action that, that actually happens. So, yeah, it, it's the, the concept of the mechanics was OK. The concept that there are mechanics that don't know their mechanics, I thought was great. Like, I like that better than the idea of mechanics themselves. Um, like a sleeper cell that doesn't know they're a sleeper cell. Like you said it great with sleeper cell, but you know what I mean? Like, like they're actually they asleep. have to find out that that's what they are. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's fucking great stuff um and then you know as you said mundane and whatever i think that he really delivers on mundane <laughs> i'm saying that in a way that you know sounds kind of bad but i i really like his the interpersonal you know relationships and stuff that that he had you know what i mean it's it's really well written good real life relationship stuff and i'm not even talking about just like the you know husband wife or the wife lover you know the wife sancho um <laughs> but you know just like the relationship she has with her boss yeah. and all of it's written very realistically and you can kind of understand that and maybe you've lived that kind of situation like i work with this person and i really don't like them but they're fucking really central to what i do so i i, I tolerate them and i you know treat them respectfully but i really don't like them as a person you know i mean like you get that when you're reading it you can you know exactly what that feels like and i think he does that really well um, but then he had some characters like Kreebold I thought was a great character. Do you, do you agree at least with that? That he was, yeah, I kind of, I liked Kreebold. I kind of pictured Kreebold like, did you ever watch the Smurfs cartoon? Yes. Like he was the Gargamel. Like just a dude, like a <laughs> yeah. warty dude in like a long black robe. Mm-hmm. Yeah, That's I can see that. Sure. More or less. And then Josephine was great, although not enough of her. And, and you know, like I said, she seemed like she was going to be what this whole story was built around. 
Yeah. And yeah. Like yeah. You said she kind of serves a little bit of a purpose and then she's just gone. Poof, gone. No, no explanation. Like there are mechanics that are disappearing, but at least you get that explanation. Yeah. Like there's the weird, like three blonde mechanics that show up at one point and they're like, and then they were gone, just disappeared. And you're like, Oh, we get it. Chaos took them, you know, like <laughs> Josephine just kind of, She's there one day, and then the next day she's kind of not. Like, there's just no closure to to her story. So, I, I don't know. Like, they forgot to... Well, if there was a third act, Jonathan Carroll forgot to put Josephine in it. Yeah, pretty much. Maybe we got unfinished versions of the book. Is that possible? Oh, damn, Maybe there's another hundred now. pages. Uh, I don't know. I mean, they put some some back matter in in the book, so I'm assuming they wouldn't just, yeah. like, omit chapters. No, I, I mean that's the whole thing. I, I was I was half kidding when I said that because you can tell when you're done with this book, you can tell like you said like the reveal is this kind of weak reveal. You know? Which I mean, it's a mundane reveal, so I guess it's it's thematically. Um, oh yeah, it starts. It ends like it starts. Yeah. Um, and like I said, if this was the first book in a series, because this does decent world building, so if this is you know if there's more to come. Although I don't know how they could because they really neutered the entire, like, conflict. But if this was the first in the series, I would understand a weak, a weak ending because it's more, it's like more to come, but it's, that's definitely not the case. There's a character who knows he's dying. Like he knows that he, I shouldn't (laughs) say he's dying like he's sick, but he knows that his days are literally numbered. So when you're reading that, you're like, okay he's going to somehow go out in a blaze of glory. Like you're trying to anticipate how this happens. Does that happen in the book? No, nope. No, no, because quite literally we don't go back to past the beginning of the book. If that makes sense because (laughs) of the, the dream and the flipping, like we never get past when the conflict began. You know what? I just thought of too. Mm. A couple things about dogs. Keaton would be proud that we're talking about the dogs. Mm-hmm. Uh, dogs. There's dogs throughout the book, and um, one of the dogs, I believe, is a retired mechanic, right? Oh, God, I don't know. Yeah, I think one of the dogs, um, Casper's dog. Um, Big D? What was his name? Tenacious D? <laughs> D something? D Train. Schooly D? D Train, that's what it was. D Train. Uh, D Train the dog, I believe. And this almost warrants going back to find it. Um, I believe D Train was was a mechanic that lived in a place that or that worked or lived or existed in a place that was like just consistently awful. And so when D Train was retired as a dog, I just remember reading something about how the dog was always happy because like living in in the human world was way better than their previous existence or something. Oh, that does sound vaguely familiar. All right, so I don't know. Actually, it may not have been a mechanic, but um, here's the description of uh, D uh, Train. They had just described how incredibly enthusiastic and happy the dog was all the time, to the point where, um, like, it was disruptive uh, to, to people because the dog just wouldn't would never just like let it let up. Um, but it says in the last life, the pit bull had been a zglaz on Ater. A smelly, dreadful planet. Anyone familiar with Aether knew joy came in mighty short supply there. The puppy didn't know it, but in this new life on Earth, he was just showing how happy he was to be away from such a miasma of misery. So, not not a retired mechanic, so I apologize for that, but definitely um, a reincarnated 
something from a miserable existence. Um, so there was that. I got that wrong. But um, the other thing was, uh, and Livius and I were talking about this earlier, dogs know what happens after you die. Yeah, I, I thought that was um, really cool. To, to note, I'm pretty sure that a dog is a central character in every Jonathan Carroll book ever written, by the way. So the, oh, yeah? the overwhelming cool. amount of dog stuff in this book was of no surprise to me. Um, that guy loves dogs like, like you know, I don't know. Like that. But can I bitch? Can I bitch about this even? Can sure. I tear down yeah. like what is a happy moment? So dogs know. For, all right. Two things I want to bitch about. Dog, I'm happy that dogs know what happens when you die. That's fine with me. Um, th- what I'm pissed about is someone actually goes into one of the mechanics can can kind of like occupy or possess kind of people or animals, so they they can see through their perspective. And this one person at one point touches the dog, and without you know realizing that's what they were doing, they could see through the dog's perspective, which includes knowing what happens after you die, right? Yeah. I see where you're going with this. And then their description of it was, it's not bad. <laughs> That's it. Think of how terrified everybody is of death and how like fixated we are on it, right? Mm-hmm. And, the whole, and, and he just solves it. He knows. He's like, this is a fact. This is what happens after you die. It's not bad. Is that... That's kind of like that's annoying, right? It's a little bit of a cop out, yeah. Um, so that was pissed off enough about that, which is fine. That's his artistic thing. It's kind of like the Douglas Adams, the answer to life, the universe, and everything is forty-two. Blah blah blah. That's a joke, kind of in a way. Um, but then, like, not too long after that, the dog gets killed, right? Yep. And the person, the fucking person who saw from the dog's perspective that they dogs know that things aren't bad after you die, gets pissed that the person killed the dog and then brings the dog back to life. <laughs> after knowing that the dog's like, it's no big deal, everything's cool. What the fuck happened there? Well, all right. Yes, yes, and yes. Um, but I'm thinking that the dog got brought back more for um, Casper's benefit than the dog's. <sighs> Sure. Like if I killed your your squirrel, <laughs> and I knew the squirrel Please was fine, but squirrel. you would be fucking devastated, right? So if I could bring the squirrel back, I'm doing it for you, not for the squirrel. So all right, you would reincarnate the squirrel to continue being my fuzzy crutch. Yes. All right. I was gonna say your <laughs> beaver, but yeah. Anyway, no one kills my beaver. <sighs> Livius Livius knows a thing or two about slaying some beaver. <laughs> I don't know. That pissed me off. You 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 bring up a good counterpoint that it was maybe more for Casper, but Casper's going to die. So fuck that argument too. <laughs> that's yeah, that's true. Are we ready to move on to That's even more selfish. They're going to bring the dog back who is going to be fine just so that the dog can experience its owner dying? <sighs> I have quotes. Can we do quotes? <laughs> do you have quotes? Uh, I do have a few, but you can start it so I can get time to find mine. So all my quotes are going to be positive, overwhelmingly positive, <laughs> despite what you've heard so far. <laughs> so. 
Um, this is a description of Vanessa Corbin, the wife slash adulteress slash former mechanic slash bar singer. Being around Vanessa Corbin anytime was like eating a piece of double rich chocolate cake. You were hungry for the first few bites and they were absolutely scrumptious, but halfway through you'd had it enough. If you ate more, you usually felt ill. Vanessa Corbin is the Joe Prindle of this book. I remember that. That made me think of that um, Mitch Hedberg joke about being a comedian where he said, you have to start strong and end strong. You can't be like pancakes all exciting at first, but then by the end you're fucking sick of them. Yeah. Yeah. That's good stuff. I'd never heard that before, but yes. Actually, I have to give it up. I thought this was a pretty good uh, first line for the book. My first quote is the first line in the book. Most men think they're good drivers. Most women think they're good in bed. They aren't. <laughs> yeah, I like that. That's good. Okay, this one's really sad. So, um, God, I don't know what happened here. This was during one of the flips. One of the former mechanics um, looks in on one of the other mechanics, on, on Bill Edmonds, whose wife died. And she winds up having a conversation with Bill Edmonds' wife, who knows that she's dead. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is just kind of the last line of that is, um, you know, the, the wife goes in, sits down next to Bill. Uh, they were watching a movie. Um, so it says, uh, sits down next to Bill. The image on the television unfroze and Mama Mia started playing again for the last time in Lola Edmonds' life. And after reading the chapter that precedes that, it's really kind of heartbreaking. Yeah. Like just, you know, this is something they did and that, you know, this this person is witnessing this woman, you know, going and, and doing this thing for the last time, which I thought was really, really sad. And it's one of the things, like I said, I like about him is you know, not so much all the supernatural stuff, but this guy really kind of nails some people stuff. And that's I'm always a big fan when someone can make those relationships really heartfelt and realistic. So and I think he does a, an excellent job of that. I'll agree. I'll give you that. My next quote is a, is a description of the character Casper from the beginning of the book. And I added it just because there's some striking similarities to someone I know. Casper Ben was one of those people to whom nice things happen all the time. Partly because they're genuinely nice, but mostly because they just seem to be blessed as if life watches out for them and often serves them the nicest slice of meat. Although he was heavy and plain looking... Women were attracted to him because he knew how to make them laugh and, more important, feel cherished. He had also no morals, but did his best not to hurt others if it was possible. However, he didn't think twice about sleeping with his partner's wife when the opportunity arose years before. The way he saw it, what went on between Vanessa and him, were, the concern, were their concerns and no one else's. Uh, blah, blah, blah. Blah, blah, blah. Does that sound like anybody you know, Livius? It Maybe. does sound like someone I know. Without the sleeping with partners. <laughs> with yes. With <laughs> yes. But yeah, nice things do happen to you, Rob. Yeah, that's what I thought. So. Yeah. So. <laughs> <laughs> Livius, um, I'm not sleeping with your partner. I mean, with your. Thank you. Yeah, I I'm not sleeping with anybody. I appreciate here. that. Wait a minute. I'm hey. going to be forthright with you. You are my partner in this. So. Yes. Um, hey, here is the line. And now, this may be an actual saying. But this is the, the line that the, the title is derived from. Um, uh, they're talking about chaos and, and chaos basically pressuring um, one of the mechanics into joining their ranks, I guess is the best way I could put it. 
Any kind of old order is out and chaos is back. They said we could either bathe their lion or try to fight it. So I don't know. Is that a thing? Have you ever heard that before? Um, I have to imagine it was derived from like a story from like a fable or something like that. Okay. Like that it was a, it was a saying that came from like a, a deeper story, but I haven't personally heard it. No, I think that's fucking brilliant. So I would probably, yeah. I, I, you know, here's the thing in my mind, if I try and bathe a lion, probably just about as likely to get fucked up by it as if I just try to fight it. So. <laughs> That's, I guess that's true. I, guess, yeah. I don't know. I have to know now if, if bathe their lion is. Let's see. Bathe their lion. While you're looking, I'm going to do another quote. Mm-hmm. This one's just weird, but weird in a way that I had to respect it. This is William Edmonds and his wife. A week after she died, he was so staggered, so deranged by her loss, that he walked into the closet where her clothes still hung and masturbated while weeping for her. Oh, yeah, the sexy part of the look. I forgot about that. <laughs> that is probably some of the, the most intense sex that happens in this book. A man in his bereaved hand. <laughs> I am, I'm pretty sure that the Bathe the Lion, anything with Bathe and Lion in it, except for Lion gets a bath on YouTube because that guy decided <laughs> not to fight the lion, um, all leads back to Jonathan Carroll. So. <laughs> Do it with Safe Search turned on. Oh, I don't think I can do it. I was doing it for my phone. I don't think I can do that. Uh-oh. So, uh, so now anybody like anybody who's like a zookeeper who's ever like been in charge of a lion's cleanliness, we could just accuse them of not being strong enough to fight the lion. Yep, exactly. Here's another one. Um, human beings love the daytime because they love light. It's where they flourish. Some say they prefer the night, but not most, because night is when you let your guard down and are most vulnerable to the disturbing things like doubt, sorrow, or regret. People bruise more easily at night. That was a good line. I just, I always feel like he has a great insight into people. Yeah. But, and as I said, I liked a lot of his stories because they were subtle, supernatural. And I think when he goes full out like this, where it's just fucking, you know, crazy shit left and right, maybe he fails, yeah. Yeah. I got one final one that's really quick. I even actually put my notes away, but it's a quick line, so I remember it. Nobody gets out of love alive. Mm -hmm. Preach it. Amen. (laughs) Keep reading. The one thing I liked, and this isn't even a quote, but I'd marked this, was um, mechanics will sometimes use suicide, like your suicide, to fix things if you're the problem, <laughs> which I thought was great because they're like, it's just so easy. Sometimes that's just the solution. They just have someone kill themselves. Yeah. It is the Here's most selfish more. act, just not of the person killing themselves, apparently. Yep. Here's another one that I thought was heartbreaking. A lot of the stuff about uh, Bill Edmonds and his wife was really, really good in this. Not only do you lose a person to death, but you lose their noise, too. Their noise and smells, gestures and facial expressions. You lose the way they talk and phrase things and laugh. The way they fill in your blanks without ever thinking about it or having to try. You lose things you love about them they don't even know they possess. Yeah. Somber, but good. Some heavy shit right there. All right, Rob, you yes. should wrap this up. 
Does it sound like they're constructing a skyscraper outside my apartment right now? I really don't hear much background noise. Good. This was... This is like one of those, same as always, Rob's never read anything by some author that everybody knows, and Livius has read half of his body of work um, situations, and, and, and like every time that happens, Livius introduces me to like the worst fucking example of their writing. Um, this might not be the case, and there is a lot of stuff about this book that is good, don't get me wrong. Um, at, the, at the end of the day, my, my criticisms of the book are more petty than anything um there was a little bit of logical problems i had with it but come on in a book like this when you're when you're playing with time and reality and everything like that logical uh, missteps are, are just like the nature of the game so um that's not something i can even you know uh hold against him in any in any real way because that's just the nature of doing a book like this. So um, most of my criticisms, I really the, the thing that I didn't like about the book was just how it, well, this is Josh Mallerman's slice of life really here because it seems like we picked up in the middle of something and we left off somewhere in the middle still. We didn't have a lot before, of... Before, before it started. Right. We left off before. It was kind of a circular slice of life. But um, we didn't get any of that like beginning or end stuff. Um which sometimes can be good. In this case, I felt was a little flat. Um, and really, that's my main criticism. He did a great job of, of actually developing compelling characters. The dialogue was spot on. I mean, the guy's a good writer. I'll give him that. Like Everything I read, read well. Um, the concept was big. The whole idea of chaos screwing things up and these mechanics being... Um, people who try and keep things in order and everything like that. Uh, kind of a bigger concept and and from personal experience having a concept very similar to that as a story I understand how difficult that is to implement. Now this guy wrote 18 books or whatever and I've written zero so obviously the experience level is a little bit different but um, <laughs> he's got about 18 books on me. Um, but it, it, it's a big concept and can, all things considered, he executed it well. Um, if you're just look, if you're a fan of his, I'm sure that you know. While this might not be necessarily your favorite, I'm sure you would enjoy it. Um, again, like I said, the writing is solid. It's just uh, the story itself. I kind of wanted more from it, and there was a couple things that I felt just a little bit betrayed by the logic of it. But again, it, it's such a, a cluster um, that that that's kind of to be expected. So. Well, I'd like to judge this book a little bit harshly, I'm going to give it two and a half stars. While Rob was doing his wrap-up, I was kind of going through the back catalog of um, Jonathan Carroll books, and it seems like it seems like I may have lost I, I may have lost Jonathan Carroll along the way. Um, it seems like a lot of his early books had, you know, like I said, fairly normal, slight supernatural twist. Something, you know, his first five, six, the ones I really loved. And it seems that progressively, as I was looking at his most recent ones, I find that I like them less and less. And the one key factor in all of them is the big story. You know, he's got people who, you know, are God in some books. And he's got a ghost that lives with a guy, like, full time. And, I mean, there's just some weird stuff. I think the thing that brings me back to him all the time is the writing and some of the the personal relationships that he kind of delivers on. I don't know that I'd want to read a whole book 
of um, people living in Jonathan Carroll's world and just their day-to-day lives. I imagine it would be beautifully written and heartbreaking and everything else. I don't know that that would carry it enough. So I think for me, it needs that supernatural undertone to keep it interesting because I don't read a lot of, like, I don't even know what that genre would be, like real life fiction, you know, where it's just about this guy who's in this bad relationship and has a shitty job. He's got a buddy or something, you know, I don't know, but. Um, the thing that brings me back to him is, I mean, beautiful lines and, and great concepts. And I, when I was looking up earlier, if bathing the lion was uh, something that he made up or from another story, you know, one of the links was a Goodreads thing that said, you know, great concept, uh, you know, but he blew it. And I think that's kind of what happened here. Great concept, but there was no, there was no story. It's kind of like Rob touched on earlier. You have this concept and we're, we're driving towards this thing. We find out the thing maybe isn't really even the thing. And then that leads me to think about the fact that we actually saw no time frame in this book because it started with dreams, went on for a couple hours. And then the rest of it was like weird time travel that no one's going to remember. So really nothing happened in this book when it was all said and done, <laughs> like zero actually occurred in 300 plus pages. Um, but then again, you know, like I said, there he, he there's some characters in there that are really great. Um, you know, a couple great supernatural characters, a couple great just overall characters. Um, and and Rob's right; this guy can can write, and he writes beautifully. And it's it's something I've I've always loved uh, about him. Um, yeah, Rob's probably right on track with this. This is probably eh, I'm gonna go two stars on this one because I expected more than Rob did. Ooh. That's always that's always difficult too when you're like you don't want to judge a, a, an author against their other works, but like at the same time you you know objectively how good they can be. <laughs> yeah, and that's uh, you know it, it. Rob and I were talking before the podcast, and there's a couple authors that I've turned Rob onto. You know, through the guys of this podcast, like I get to read another fucking Jonathan Carroll book. Rob, Rob, you've got to read this. You know, and know if it's me that's changed or the authors with carol i'm gonna go with the authors you know i I think that something in his writing has caused him to want to make it bigger in scope and i I personally don't i don't know i don't i don't know that that works for him as i think about his last books and all the ones that were big supernatural you know big mystical yeah Um, when they were smaller mystical they were really great there's one called the land of laughs which is a woman who lives this other life in her dreams like on another planet with like a talking dog that one was big but that one was fun i mean that was good stuff but a lot of the other ones were a little more subdued than, than his last maybe three or four thinking of that if you just scaled it down where if it was just this town in vermont that was affected by some kind of thing instead of like the entire universe you know what i'm saying if the if the if the threat was more imminent more more mm-hmm. local do you think that would change your your opinion? I mean, obviously, like you wouldn't know unless you read it written that way. But you know what I'm saying. Do you think right. that would have helped? You know, I think so. I, I, probably. I feel um, like it would. I feel like it would make. Yeah, because a lot of it was so like out of reach. Like it's chaos, but we're only seeing this really small chunk. And then, like I said, every time they talked about stuff on another planet, I kind of let's say I rolled my eyes, but I kind of tuned out a little bit. Right. Like it wasn't relatable. Yep. Uh, to me and because then i don't know it almost has like a weird science fiction-y kind of feel when you treat it that way and yeah. you make it universe-wide and oh remember the bangladex on planet xyz like no you know what i mean like it just doesn't <laughs> it's, 
for for a guy who can relate human emotion and actual relationships so well, he was putting out a lot of awful lot of unrelatable stuff in, in the mix. <laughs> I guess. There it is, my first Jonathan Carroll. Probably your last Jonathan Carroll. Yeah. Olivia's, this is what he's doing. He's like, I'm going to keep these authors all to myself. I'm just going to have Rob read the ones that aren't going to be that great. So these, you know, so that you keep the authors for yourself. I had to unfollow him on Twitter, and it's funny because um, the, uh, <laughs> no, I'm serious. This is one of the guys, like, when I first started using Twitter, like, I was super excited that Jonathan Carroll was on Twitter because he's not all that well-known an author. I mean, he's getting, I mean, he's published by, I don't know, I don't know who published this one. Do you remember? <sighs> anyway, he's, he's on a big imprint, so, uh, <laughs> I mean, he should have that exposure and stuff, but all he does is quote shit from other books so the Amazon author page has author updates McMillan they're big right Um, and it's like I'm looking at his author updates and he had four today or in the last 24 hours and three of them are just quotes from other things yeah so yeah so I I think I I followed and unfollowed him like three times because somehow I'd come back across it and be like Oh, I like Jonathan Carroll. Maybe I'll get information about a new book. And then I have to turn it. Oh, and the other weird thing is he lives in in uh, Austria. So yeah. it's always this weird brick that comes up. Like, you know, first thing in the morning you go and it's like 22 quotes from Jonathan Carroll <laughs> and then nothing like the rest of the oh, day. Yeah, that's the worst. Yeah, so. uh, Austria, When I whenever I think of Austria, there's this uh, coffee shop in Chicago called Julius Meinl. And it's an Austrian coffee shop in there's like two locations in there's three locations total two in Chicago one in Vienna it's weird but great coffee and great food I've got to tell you from reading his books Austria is is a place I'd like to visit and maybe live I was talking to this dude at the the job that I I never will say what it is but everybody probably already knows mm-hmm. and I I don't remember how it came up but we started talking about Julius Meinl. He's like, yeah, I've been to the cafe. And I was like, oh, which one? The one up here or over there? And he says, no, in <laughs> Vienna. And I wanted to be like, you motherfucker. But it probably wouldn't go over too well. Actually, it probably would have gone fine. Next time I'm down in the city, look, can we make it a point to go to that cafe? Yeah, dude. Cool. Yeah, dude. It's a date. It's a it's a podcast meeting. There you go. Hey, um, I know we don't have a lot of other stuff to talk about this week. Um, yeah. Did you watch the? Did you watch the the football game? I did. You did you really watch the Super Bowl? I <laughs> yeah, it's tough to. Well, the blacklist came on after it. So. Was it was it was it like um, <laughs> when you're in a restaurant and the people at the table next to you are speaking in a language you don't understand? <laughs> you kind of get the gist of it by the inflection, but you're not really sure. Well, all right. So, um, the, what what helped me out? What helped me through the Super Bowl was. Uh, because of this massive snowstorm that took place in Chicago, uh, I was actually staying at my mother's house in the suburbs instead of going home. So I kept asking questions to my mother because she's a huge sports fan and she knows like pretty much anything there is to know about sports. So I'd be like, hey, when this happens, doesn't this mean, you know, and that and that's mm-hmm. that's how I got through it was she was kind of like my my football interpreter. Nice. I was kidding. I totally thought you'd be like, no, I was trying to finish this goddamn book. <laughs> no, I was avoiding this book by watching the uh, Super Bowl. I um I played video games instead of watching the uh 
the Super Bowl, but um, I've been using Imager a lot lately. And I know yeah. you know this. I don't know if I've mentioned it much on the podcast, but um, God damn it. Imager this morning, I'm like, what the <laughs> fuck are all these pictures of sharks? Why is there a man dressed in a shark suit <laughs> on every goddamn picture on the front page of Imager? <laughs> was it because of Katy Perry's halftime show? I swear to God, man, the shark, the shark took over Imager. <laughs> and, and I don't know if you ever spend any time on there, but people like will meme them differently yeah. and, and make weird gifts and reaction gifts and things. And that's all. It was fucking sharks everywhere. It felt like that goddamn like Sharknado on, on Imager. <laughs> it was kind of a cool mix because um, mom was mom was schooling me on on actual sports and I was I was reading her my Twitter feed of all the jokes about shit that just happened. Oh, I got gotcha. um, It was pretty. It was pretty good. So we, it was kind of it was an even exchange. She got all my Twitter jokes, and I got to know what the hell anything meant in the in the game. <laughs> now I know what an interception is. Oh, that was the other thing. There was a reaction from one of the players on the losing team during that interception. Yeah, that yep. black guy with like dreadlocks. Yep. That was the other thing that was all over goddamn Imager. I'll just entire that's just all that it guy's was. reaction. Yeah. Pretty much, yeah. And sharks. And sometimes both combined. Like it was just bizarre. I was that that was my reaction to this book. <laughs> One of my favorite um tweets, and I'm not gonna find it because I want to, is um someone said something like now there's going to be a professional dancer who's going to put on their resume that they were um, 2014 or 15, I guess. Mm-hmm. Uh, Super Bowl backup dancer shark. <laughs> um, somebody posted from one of the like, I don't know, one of those like weird dating apps or whatever, you know, where you can talk to people that, that if you both like click the like button or whatever. Mm hmm. And this was from like a week ago, and it said, oh, I'm what's called a costume prop dancer. And the girl goes, what does that mean? And he says, all I can say is, I'm the shark. You'll understand what that means in a week. Get out of here. Yeah. So I don't know if it was faked or not, but I was like, that's that's pretty awesome. I have to give that <laughs> oh, here it is. Tomorrow, a professional dancer will add 2015 Super Bowl halftime show shark to his resume. Oh. I don't. I didn't watch the. You know, I mean, the clips obviously are available, and I didn't watch them. But I was just kind of like, <laughs> dude. I, and I think that's such a uh, like the shark thing is exactly how the United States mentality of like the average person works is. You could watch something for literally four hours and walk away with one ridiculous thing that no one would have ever predicted. Yeah, that's yes, that's that's very true. And that does seem to happen a lot. It seems to happen a lot more. Do you think that's that's an internet thing? It's an internet thing. It's the one thing that everybody was like, "Oh fuck." Cuz in the moment, everybody can talk about it. When you hear other people talking about it, then you're like, "Oh, this is the thing to talk about." And everybody talks about, it, you know what I'm saying? There was um uh Oh god, this is going to reveal my nerdiness in a crazy way. Um and one of like whenever Apple has a new product they do like an announcement thing Mm -hmm. and in one of them one of the guys that was demonstrating an app that was going to be used had this like man cowl like it was like a a scarf but it's like a circular you know what i'm talking about Mm -hmm. and it was like this big but he also he just kind of looked anyway the only like obviously besides the important parts of the thing 
the big takeaway from that entire announcement was this guy and his and his like cowl that he wore. So like everybody has a way of just like reducing something big down into this one moment and and the shark was definitely uh for the Super Bowl was one of the big ones. That and that guy's reaction. Uh, that's um it's interesting that we could actually talk about the Super Bowl for any length of time. Yeah. Yeah. I was um my mom thinks it's really funny that that when she talks to me about sports, I actually told her once, I'm like, please just tell me the crime they committed so I can know who you're talking about. Oh, uh, uh, yeah. And it yeah. came up in conversation. I'm like, oh, is that the guy that beat his kid or is the guy that punched out his wife in the elevator or was he the dog fighter or the rapist? Yeah. Dude, but you know what? The Power Rangers have that exact same problem now. Oh, yeah. The Red Power Ranger <laughs> murdered someone. Or allegedly, yeah. It's either someone. like you you like did porn, or you murdered someone, or like I, I don't. Yeah. Can I tell you something fucked up? I don't remember what color it is, but one of the one of the Power Rangers. I don't remember which color he is, but is a regular customer at my at my store that I work at. Yeah. Uh, hopefully, it's not the red one. Not that. <laughs> uh, I don't think it was the red one. <laughs> we'll see if the Ranger never comes in again. Maybe it was the red one. Um. Hey. Yes. Do you know what Patreon contributors can listen to right at this very moment? I have no idea. A little story called Moonlighting. Oh yeah, that got published. <laughs> um, <laughs> has, has that been up for a while now? That's been up um, probably about a week. I think it went up right around. All right. So I'm going to say, as Patreon listeners, your silence is greatly appreciated. But there's more to come because there's the super fast, super speedy. Like, you gave me so much shit about how fast I read that that I was tempted and I might still just, like, re-record it uh, at a normal pace. Um, <laughs> recording of me reading my story, Killing Millie, which will go up. Um, when do you want to put it up? Um, well, if you said it's been a week, now's probably a good time. Right. I mean, not this moment, but yeah, yeah soon. Um I will, Rob, what level of contribution does somebody have to do to hear these stories that you and I wrote and are reading aloud? Here's the I think this is where we're going wrong because everything we're doing, everybody can can get as long as they're a dollar or more. So you're saying for just the cost of one dollar monthly, not only can they get booked episodes twenty four hours early, but they get to hear you and I do audio stories that we wrote? That's exactly what I'm telling you, Olivius. What? A bargain. Oh, stepping on some toes here, are we? Oh, I'm. Listen, I'm pretty sure that A. Adam Otten has forsaken us forever, so I'm going to have to start throwing down our own funny stuff. All right. Um, yeah, that is a bargain. Dollar a month gets you at least that, and hell, probably more. We've got AWP coming up, so there's definitely a an opportunity for some um, uh, bonus content Musings. there. Musings from the road. Maybe we'll yeah. actually the drive this time. Livius, are you locked in for AWP? I am locked in for AWP, sir. I have booked a room with a uh, a friend of this show. Me too. Uh, I have also done that. And I have uh, you and I are driving together. I've secured you a parking spot. Um, <laughs> and uh, that's it. Yeah. Yes, I'm locked in. I was thinking about this. We, we keep saying it every time we're on a road trip. We should figure out a way. We should record some content. So I don't know how noise-free my car is, like, from road noise. I know it's not great, yeah. but we should figure out a way to, 
to do some banter from the road. I was thinking about this because originally we were uh, we were maybe going to have a third person with us driving, yeah. and that fell through. And I'm kind of glad it did because I thought about it and I was like, all right, so we have you know it's obviously me and you, and then we have some close friends that we can be pretty open around. I was like, this other person, we've only met him once or twice. Like, we're going to have to actually behave <laughs> for like five and a half goddamn hours each way. And I was like, this isn't going to work out well at all. <laughs> so, Thankfully, that fell through. He, uh, he had to be up there a day earlier than us. Yeah, and as much as I would have liked that, I was thinking about it. And I was like, oh, God, we have to be on our best behavior. This is not like, you know, like a close friend of the show. Like, we could be very open around. So... But yeah, I'm sure we can shit talk all the way to all the way to Minneapolis. Yeah, I'm and we can sing that. Prince songs. Maybe that's what bonus content. Uh, Rob and I singing "Little Red Corvette" in the car. Well, we'll just see about that. But we have some events, some very exciting and important events that are happening at AWP. You want to talk about that for a second? Yes. So the most important event happening at AWP this year is it doesn't have an official name, but it's going to get one. There is a dodgeball game happening. Yeah, fucking dodgeball. Remember when we mentioned it on the podcast before? <laughs> Remember when I mentioned it in just dodgeball the podcast before <laughs> and now it became, it became a thing? <laughs> the whole time I was like, God, you know, I was kind of joking about that. This isn't going to come together. This isn't going to come together. Holy shit, I'm going to have to dodge fucking balls. Like, <laughs> <so>. <laughs> It is cleverly titled AWP's first ever dodgeball event. Um, currently there are 15 people that have RSVP'd to go to this and it's, it's, it just became February. So we're still over two months away from this actually happening. Um, and essentially we have team booked team booked is, is already is settled. Mm -hmm. We got all those people. Um, and I promise that I'm not stalling just so I can get a list of people ahead of me. (sighs) Team booked will consist of me and Livius, obviously. Mm Mm-hmm. Jesse Lawrence, David James Keaton, and Amy James Keaton, Caleb J. Ross, Gordon Highland, Mark Jeskowski, and that's it. And that's enough. And we will be taking on the Broken River Books slash Eraserhead Press crew. Mm-hmm. Um, and consisting Which of- will consist of some people who are going to get pelted with balls. A bunch of people who are just going to be taking balls in the face. Mm-hmm. Did you look at the official rules I sent you? Uh, <laughs> no, I opened them uh, on a on a tab on a, on my phone, and I haven't actually read them yet. But I I, I, I skimmed it a little bit. If you hit them in the face, um, God, I think it's actually like disqualification. But it only counts if you hit them below the the shoulders. Wait, who gets disqualified? The person throwing the ball. Oh, I have to read into them. All I know is that you only get a point if you hit them below the the like neck. So this no, 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 no balls to the face. All right. So yeah, there's going to be the dodgeball event um, Friday uh, at noon, and otherwise, there's some readings and stuff. I just wanted to talk about the dodgeball event. <laughs> There's some other stuff. The other event, there is another thing that we're going to, but it's exclusive. So no one's invited to it. It's a, it's a, it's a dinner with, um, with the, with our core group of people. And, uh, we're, we're lovingly titling it the board meeting. Um, we may bring you a reading though. I think that that we may have a, a reading that we might be recording. We'll see. Yeah. We'll see about that. 
Um, but yeah, so great stuff. Um, some of that will be exclusive content. I, I will say this. We're going to get some video of Dodgeball, and that will be <laughs> exclusive content. I might have to borrow a GoPro from someone and just like strap it on my head. Oh, God. <laughs> the video will be me making taking video of Rob with a camera strapped to his head. That's, <laughs> that's going to be the exclusive content. You get. So. Oh, we're horrible. Oh. Hey, what's coming up next next episode? Oh, so can I before we talk about next episode, can I jump forward a few episodes? This breaks my heart. We are a award winning um podcast, right? We review books. We won yes. a horror award, right? Yeah. This is horror podcast of the year. All I want is to read the goddamn new Clyde Barker book. But that's really that's really all I want. I mean I want other things, but really that's been first and front and foremost is that the fuck do you say that first and foremost on my that's, mind? That's how that's how I say it. <laughs> This is how fucking angry I am. I can't even speak anymore. Um, the Scarlet Gospels comes out in a couple of months. Um, that is the going to be the final pinhead story. And earlier we talked about Harry Dalmore in that he was in Lord of Illusions and played by Scott Bakula. Ross Lockhart has a copy of this book. And it breaks my heart that we don't. He probably asked for one, to be fair. Yeah, but you know what? We shouldn't have to ask anymore. I mean, really, should we have to ask? Shouldn't stuff just show up? Um, I don't know how it works. People, like, it's that weird thing where, like, he might be a member of the Horror Writers Association or some other bullshit. Like, there's got to be something. Mm-hmm. So that, I, to keep you from eating a bullet. <laughs> Not eat a bullet, but I am going to talk about Dan Mazenzio. In the last few minutes, he asked to join the um, the book podcast listening group. <laughs> so I'm going to loosely say, welcome, Shit. Don Massenzio. He is a member of 767 groups. Oh, it is 11 good for Don. 53 p.m. on February 2nd. Happy Groundhog's Day, by the way. Happy Groundhog Day. I'm going to... I'm going to approve him, mostly so we can time exactly how long it is before we kick him out of the group. How's that sound? <laughs> I'm going to mark the time. It's February 2nd at uh, 11.53 p.m. Central. Mm -hmm. I just added him. 767 groups. So let's see how long it is before he tells us that we really need to read his book. I do like I've never noticed before, and maybe because I mostly do this from the phone, but on the... um, on the app, the uh, or on the actual Facebook webpage through a computer, you can see how many groups they're in. I never noticed that before. I mean, I have to imagine I'm in a dozen. There's like probably like four vape groups, and then I've got some like author fan pages and stuff. So 767. So let's see how long it is before he's back to 766. Hey, big surprise. Don Medzenzio has a new book out called Let Me Be Frank. <laughs> Um, let's see if we can find anything out about Let Me Be Frank. It's a Frank Rossini detective novel. There you go. When you say A, like there's more than one? That's just what it says on the cover. Silhouette of a guy in a trench coat with a hat. Do you want me to read what, what the author says about it? Yeah, yeah, let's hear this. The second in the Frank Rossini detective series follows the characters into... Follows the characters into the investigation of the murder of a young girl. So far, pretty compelling. Frank and his team trace her path to Jacksonville Beach, the site of the murder, and gather clues along the way. 
The answers to the mystery have big implications for characters within the Frank universe. All right, Livius, you awake? Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. I'm, I'm riveted. All right. Oh, shit. Here we go. Ready for his influences? To Kill a Mockingbird. Okay. The Stand. Okay. Um, the writing of John D. McDonald, Harlan Coben, early James Patterson, John Grisham, and Elmore Leonard. Is that? Well, all right, we're going to close this. <laughs> I, I, I'm hoping that he actually posts, like, you guys review my book, or you can just link him back to this episode. <laughs> like, we already did. did. <laughs> <laughs> That's what we have to do now. Anytime anybody uh, asks us for. A review, we have to link them to an episode where we make fun of their shit. There you go. Oh, man. Are we done? Um, yeah, we're going to talk about what's up next, though, right? Oh, right. Yes. Yeah, so just fucking tell me what we're, re- we're reading for next episode. <laughs> tell you what you're going to procrastinate on for yeah, next episode. Yeah, tell me what we're reading. Uh, I'm reading a week from today. <laughs> Skull Crack City, Jeremy Robert Johnson. Now, um, you listeners will remember, hopefully, um, that we interviewed uh, Mr. Johnson back in 2012, I believe. No, yes. 2013, right? 2012? Yeah. That's a long time. And we reviewed his collection that was out at the time, which we very much enjoyed. I still um, tell people about his, uh, I just had a conversation with someone, it was probably like a week ago. Um, touting one of his short stories so uh, this is kind of Jonathan Carroll-ish for me man this is like I have high expectations of Skull Crack City um, and we'll see because when I have high expectations ooh, that doesn't always pan out real well so we'll, uh, we'll see I've started the book I've started I'm 15% in so there's some loops and launches in there with it um, probably going to barrel through most of it uh, tomorrow or day after tomorrow um, and then Rob will read it on Sunday. Yeah, that's the plan. <laughs> All right, so looking forward to some JRJ. Just want to say, we were there first. I don't think that any podcast got to him before we did, right? Uh, I don't know. I, I doubt it. Or we're just going to say we were there first. That for any particular reason, just want to say it. Um, so, yeah, come back next week. We'll be reviewing some Jeremy Robert Johnson. Head over to patreon.com slash booked. Throw in a dollar a month so you can listen to Livius. And soon, me reading our own handcrafted stories that flowed from our minds down onto the page. And then later on into the microphone. Until then, I'm Livius Nedden. And I'm Rob Olson. Keep reading. <laughs>